Welcome to the Prophecy Club and happy Thanksgiving to you. So, the situation is this. I'm going to be spending a few days with my family for Thanksgiving. So, we're going to make a fantastic offer for everybody to celebrate the Thanksgiving and the Christmas holidays. So, Prophecy Club started inviting guests, making recordings back in June of 1993. Over 19 years, we made uh, about 330 recordings, 160 different guests, and we've offered these typically for about $30 each. Some of them are doubles for like $50. However, today you can go and watch about 300 recordings valued about $6,000 at watchprophecyclub.com for a gift of $20 a month or $200 per year. That's a great deal, but we're about to make it even better. For the month of December... 2021, if you sign up for WatchProphecyClub.com, that's $20 a month or $200 a year, you're going to get the whole month of December, that's right, the whole month of December, free just for signing up, but you got to use the promo code WPC2021. Here's the way you do it. You go to WatchProphecyClub.com, and then you click Get Access Today, you put in the promo code WPC2021, as in Watch Prophecy Club 2021. I'll say it again. So you go to WatchProphecyClub.com, you click Get Access to Today, and you put in the promo code WPC2021. You can watch any or all of, if you can watch all of the 300 DVDs during the month of December, free. Now let's go watch I Saw the Submarines Attack America by Henry Groover, recorded in January of 1996. Welcome to the Prophecy Club, where we study and research Bible prophecy. The topic tonight is, I Saw Submarines Attack America. And our speaker is uniquely qualified to do this because God has shown him what is coming for America. Who is he? Why has he earned the right to talk on such a subject? Well... He's been in the ministry for some 38 years, and he walks and prays cities. He's walked and prayed over 200 foreign cities alone. What do we mean, walking and praying a city? He gets a map at God's direction and systematically walks up and down every street in that city, praying out loud, praying in the Spirit, pulling down strongholds, loosing the angels to do warfare. Then he goes up at God's direction on the highest point overlooking that city where he lifts his hands and he proclaims that land reclaimed to God. Many times revival breaks out. He's had guns at his head, knives at his throat, and God has delivered him from them all. One day while walking a city, as you'll hear tonight, December 14th, 1986, he was lifted above the earth and he looked down on it like a globe. And God showed him a vision of submarines launching nuclear weapons and landing here in our beloved America. God does not hate America. He loves America, and He loves Americans, and He loves the Christians here, and He wants to save them. But we have sinned, and we have turned from our God, and He is going to correct us and bring us back to Him, and that's what you're going to hear tonight. Will you help me welcome Henry Groover? Thank you, Sam. The Lord is good, and His mercies endure forever. I want to begin with those words because I want you to remember them through this entire time. 
Because if you don't, it will be very difficult for you to keep that focus. In Psalms 85, it says, Mercy and truth are met together. I believe in a God of mercy. I believe in the power of the truth that sets free. I believe that anything that makes a lie, God will deal with. And throughout this presentation, you're going to find out, I believe, that God watches over His Word to perform every word of it to the dotting of the I and the crossing of the T. My life was not one that was designed by my thinking to be anything in the realm of prophecy. My father was a prophecy student. I grew up cutting my teeth with prophecy teachers. I come to know at a very young age, through my father's instruction with us boys and one sister, that prophecy is very important. Dad always said to us, the trouble's going to come because of the Middle East. Well, that's scriptural. And the prophecy teachers of many years have been teaching this. But I'll have to confess to you that by the time I was 17 years old, I'd had about this much of prophecy, and I didn't want any more. And I decided my life would not be in the realms of that at all. And so therefore, I decided that my life would be that of evangelism if it was going to be ministry at all. And so I thrust myself into evangelism, began at the age of 17, walking cities and evangelizing. And God began to build a, a discipline of His Spirit in my life. I began to hear his voice and understand well what he was saying to me and his instructions. And I can truly say to you at this very moment, the only reason I'm standing here is because I listened to my Father in Heaven's instructions. I learned his voice. And Jesus said in his word and his very own words, My sheep know my voice, and another's will they not hear. And that's very important. You will hear me make statements in this presentation that I will say, Thus saith the Lord. You will hear me make statements that I will say, I speak as a man. Please, please take them in their context. I'm a person that is very cautious about saying, Thus saith the Lord. You will also find that I am not a person that gives dates. So if you are going to shut it off and say, I don't want to see this because here's another one of these people that's doing this, you can leave it on. I don't give dates. But I do give the signs of the seasons. And that's very important because I believe Jesus used that facet to teach and to emphasize the seasons. How did he say that? He said, what is it? He said, you see the leaves on the fig tree, you know that summer is near. You see the south wind, you feel the south wind blowing in and you know it's going to get hot. What is the matter? You can discern these things, but you can't discern the signs of the times. And so I believe with all my heart that God wants us to discern the signs of the times. And the signs will lead you to the time. And you will not be caught without being prepared. And that's the key. And the whole motive, I believe, of God pulling me off of the evangelistic field. And we'll go into portions of that tonight. But the whole motive of going into this and God pulling me off of this realm of ministry was to warn America of what's coming. What I'm going to give you is not gloom and doom. There are three realms that God deals in. And so often, I hear people say to me, Well, Henry, God has not appointed the Christians to wrath. I totally agree with you. Please don't think I am insinuating in any way in any of the materials of what I give you 
that this is the wrath of God. This is the beginning of the pleadings of God with the United States of America. He has a controversy with us, and he will begin with pleadings. So we have the pleadings of God, and then we have the judgment of God, and finally, the wrath of God follows. I believe God's people, the saints, are subjected to the pleadings of God and to the judgments of God. But I do not believe that they are in any way predestined to be subjected to the wrath of God. So please understand that right up front. I believe that with all of my heart. December the 14th, 1986, I got up at 4.30 in the morning to pray before I would begin walking the city of Carnarvon, northern Wales. I knelt down by my bed, and the Lord spoke words to me that I didn't want to hear. He said, Are you willing to lay your wife and your family on the altar and never see them again this side of heaven? He asked me that the afternoon before. I couldn't answer him. And that morning at 4.30 in the morning, when I got up and got on my knees, he said, I want your answer before you leave the room this day. I jumped to my feet. The tears were streaming down my face. I began walking back and forth in the room, saying, Lord, I am afraid. I am afraid if you take my family, I will be offended at you. And I don't want to be offended. For your word says, blessed are those that are not offended in me. But I felt that that would be a great sacrifice. And I didn't think my personal being was up to that kind of a request. But as God, I buried my face in my pillow and cried out loud because I didn't want to wake up the people in the rooms around me. God began to bring before me all the years with our children, 13 children. The different circumstances. We had six of them at home. Natural childbirth. Yes, we had just about every complication you could name, including one born dead. And I'll say to you that just in a less than a month, he'll be graduating with his degree in, in design engineering. So he's very much alive today, only because of Jesus and his goodness. But Jesus took these kind of things and put them before my eyes, just like you're looking at this television screen. A vision is just like looking at a, a picture in front of you. Only difference is you're sitting there in your living room or wherever, you can put your hands over your face or Stop your eyes from seeing it. But a vision, you can even slap your face and the vision goes on. That's called a day vision. A night vision is when you have a dream. But the difference between it being just, uh, as some people say, too much pizza or something like that, the difference is, is that when you have a vision from God, detail stays with you. Though it was December the 14th, 1986, every time I ever tell this vision, it comes before me as though it's happening all over again. It is no difficulty to repeat it precisely because I'm seeing it all over again. That's a vision from God. If you have a dream from God, detail stays with you. If you have great difficulty remembering the dream, leave it alone. There is a man, a king, it had difficulty understanding the dream, but I assure you it was from God. And he remembered every detail, didn't he? And when Daniel came before him, he gave him the detail, and that king knew there was no form whatsoever of counterfeit operation going on. This young man knew what dream he had because it was a dream given from God. 
So I want to go in and give you, begin giving you visions. Try and remember these visions. Note them in your mind. I'll call off certain aspects of the visions because I believe they're going to be of significance in materials that I will offer to you. In that vision, I was standing and looking out over the Isle of Anglesey in Carnarvon, northern Wales, standing on the Eagle Tower on the Carnarvon Castle. This is the Carnarvon Castle is where Charles, Prince Charles, was coronated as Prince of Wales. That's a significant expression and reason I believe that God put me there. There's a lot that can be put into that. But that isn't my particular expertise. We'll leave that with those who feel they have other information on it. However, as I stood there looking out over the Isle of Anglesey from the Eagle Tower, it's the tallest tower of the Carnarvon Castle, all of a sudden, looking out across toward over the, the Irish Sea, the tip of the Irish Sea into the North Sea, I was caught up into the heavens and looking down on the earth like a globe. And as I looked down on the earth like a globe, I saw a massive military movement coming out of an area up by the Arctic. And I couldn't figure out what this was, what was going on, why a military, navy, and air force, why it would be going out between the United States and Europe up above Finland, going out through the Icelandic Gap and heading down between the United States and Europe and making a curl all the way around the Horn of Africa towards the Pers Persian Gulf. Now that's significant. When all of a sudden... I was alarmed because of that. You would have been too. I looked over toward the United States and I saw something I'd never seen in my life. I had never even preconceived the thought of it. I had always thought that the United States was wiser and more powerful than to allow Russian subs to be parked right almost on our beaches per se. What I mean by that is you could see the submarines down under the water, but there were areas that the sand still had drifted on down from the beaches into the depths, and the submarines were sitting there aimed at America. I saw them sprinkled all the way across the East Coast. When I saw that, my family at that time lived in Portland, Oregon. I was alarmed, of course, and I wanted to look over toward Portland to see what was going on. And as I looked across the continent of the United States of this globe, I saw the submarines from way up by Washington, the top of Washington, all the way down around towards San Diego, poised in the same way all the way along our coast in the north from the Pacific side. Then something else caught my attention. I began to see radio towers going up all across the nation. And these radio towers, as they went up, the, da -da -da, the dotted lines begin going out as though they were transmitting. And then there was an alarm went off in me. They're sounding the alarm. We're going to be under attack. The siege is laid. When all of a sudden I was watching these radio dots going out like the transmitting of a warning. And instead of the people being warned, they sprinkled to the ground like dust. And an alarm went off in me and I cried out in the heavens and I said, Oh God, they won't even know what hit them. And at that time, all of a sudden, I looked down on the eastern seaboard at the submarine, was drawn to that one right off from New York City. And I saw the missile come right out of that submarine and go right up and come right over the city of New York. And the entire city disappeared. Then I looked down, on down toward Florida. And down there, I could see another explosion take place. 
I looked across because of my family being in the Pacific Northwest. I looked across. Another explosion took place up by Seattle, Bellevue. And then another one down by San Francisco. And another one down toward Los Angeles. And another one toward San Diego. And there I stood in shock as I was watching these explosions take place and these cities literally disappearing from off the face of the earth. The next instant, I was standing back down on the Eagle Tower, and I found myself looking down in the village. There was no alarm going off. The cars were going the normal speed. People were walking. I looked out over the bay where there were some British ships, warships, and I watched them and studied them for a few seconds. There was no alarm there. And I found myself saying this, Oh, God. If this has not happened, what will be the sign of it and of its time? And God spoke to my spirit, and these were the words he said. December the 14th, 1986, before Glasnost, Perestroika, the Berlin Wall was still up. The Cold War was still in full-bore run. We supposedly were still on alert. The words were spoken to me. When Russia opens her gates and lets the masses go, the free world will occupy themselves with transporting, housing, and caring for the masses. We'll begin letting their weapons down, crying peace and safety. And that's when it will happen. Now, the question I submit to you is this. Where are we on that scenario? Where are we in that prophetic timetable? Is that vision being fulfilled before our eyes? Are we seeing it literally take place? There's another vision I want to give right now that's called the Prince Charles vision. The reason it's called Prince Charles is because he's in it. And many students of Bible prophecy who believe that there's a possibility he could be one of the men of the Antichrist or the Antichrist have written and ask permission to use this vision and some of these explanations. I don't know about that yet. Now, again, I say that isn't my expertise. Please don't ask me, do I think Prince Charles is the Antichrist? I don't know. I know he was in the vision. In the vision, this one happened in 1982. We were living, February of 1982, we were living over in Portland, Oregon, the Pacific Northwest, the Lord woke me up early in the morning, said, get down and pray and seek my face. I went down, got on my knees, began to seek the Lord, and I had this vision. In the vision, an angel came to me and said, I want you to take your wife. And at that time, we had 10 of our 13 children at home. I want you to take your wife and your children and put them in the van, and I want you to go out Highway 26 toward Mount Hood. Stay on that highway till you come to government camp. Now, just part of that little insert there, government camp. We have a lot of messages today about government camps that are being built all over this nation. And you Prophecy Club students are aware of what I'm talking about. Even 2020 did a major segment on the government camps that they call for illegal aliens all across the United States of America, even some of them containing the capacity ability of 80,000 people. And if they're for illegal aliens, I'd like to know why they're way up in Delta, in Alaska, in the, 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 the ice box of America. 
Sorry, you don't have a lot of illegal aliens there. Maybe they're planning on an invasion of them. I don't know. I think they already have in mind who they want. However, we won't go into that. Go up to government camp. When you come to the outer edge of the, the town of government camp, staying on Highway 26, you'll be heading around the mountain, Mount Hood. Look at your millimeter and go five miles to the tenth. Five miles to the tenth, and there will be a pull-off on the right. Get off out of the car, and you lead the way down a switchbacking trail into a canyon. Have your wife bring up the rear and the children in between. When you come down into the bottom, you'll come out into a clearing. There'll be a person to meet you and tell you what to do next. In the vision, I nodded, and the vision immediately changed, and we were in the van, and we were going out Highway 26, and the children were asking me many questions. Dad, why didn't we bring any camping gear, any fishing poles? I said, because we're not going camping. We're not going fishing. Well, where are we going? And these kind of questions. And I said, we're going to meet someone. Well, who is it? I don't know. And it was that plane of a vision. God wanted me to know that my family was involved in this and the countdown of it. And I find the more I live, the more my family is involved in the countdown of it. And the more you live, the more your family is involved in the countdown of it. And it is a day to be concerned about your family such as you never have been in all your life. We came to the edge of government camp. I told one of the children, I said, now I want you to watch this millimeter. When it reads this, it's just about this one here that turns like this one, says this number, you tell me and there should be a pull-off if we're right. Sure enough, he's saying, Daddy, it's getting to that number. And sure enough, I said, yes, there's the pull-off. And we pulled off and we begin to walk down this switchbacking trail into the canyon. The children following, the wife bringing up the rear. Just like the instructions, we came out into an opening down on the bottom out into a clearing, and here standing was an English butler. Very proper, standing poised with a full black tuxedo on, very proper with a white towel over his arm, and he just looks at us, and he's standing at attention like as we come out into the clearing. He was expecting us, and he says, Now then, you've arrived. Follow me. And so we followed him across the clearing, and we came to the edge of the clearing, and I didn't realize it, but it went down farther into the very floor of the canyon. And as we went down into the very floor of the canyon, I was heading down. I looked down below, and here were five rows of chairs, 12 chairs in each row, 60 chairs down there. In front of them was one little platform about 15 feet wide, 12 by 15, a single microphone on a, on a pedestal, on the front and one chair on the back. As we're going down, I notice there's a senator standing there and a general. He's got four stars on his shoulder. I used to think it was five, but since I've been to the Pentagon and met some generals, I met some four-star generals and I found out they have brass buttons down here and it looked like another star, but it was, it was one of those brass buttons. We don't, presently, we don't have a five-star general. To be a five-star, you have to have fought in a declared war and then Congress approves you for that fifth star. So we only have four-star generals right now. We went down. It's as though I knew in the vision. I knew the senator, but I didn't know the general. The butler introduced me to the general, and he said, as he was seating my wife and the children, the butler was, the general said, yes. He said, you're the family we've heard about. Now, I still don't know what that means, and it's in the hands of the Lord.
At that instant, I turned and looked, and all of the 60 chairs were filled. I didn't see them before that. I couldn't tell you who it was in those chairs except for my wife on the end, eight of my children, and the general and the senator. At that point, the butler said, we need to be seated. We must begin. So we all sit down. He pulled out from under his arm, the white towel. He pulled out a two-way radio, and I began walking back up to the area of the clearing, muttering some words. At that instant, I heard behind me a big helicopter coming. And I turned and looked back at the, at the edge of the canyon to be able to see this great big double-bladed blackish-brown helicopter, no markings on it, coming over the, the rim of the canyon. On cables, it was carrying a bluish construction office. When I was in Geneva, Switzerland, at the United Nations building, standing looking at their official color, all of a sudden, the vision come back to me, and I thought, oh, my word, the construction office is the same color as the U.N. official colors, the blue. And I thought, Lord, there is a significance of that. The U.N. is under construction, and they're doing a lot of building around the world. The helicopter came and gently let the construction office down and released the cable, and the butler went up and opened the door. And out stepped Prince Charles. Charles was wearing the cut-off sleeves, cut-off pants, the khaki-type color, and the big-rimmed hat like you'd be on a, a safari in very hot, arid country or something, or jungle. He looked like he'd been in the desert. And as he was coming with the butler over the clearing, down the grade, we were looking at him. And as I looked at his face, I said to myself, something's wrong. He's very sober. His face is puffy. His eyes are red. It looks like he's been crying for several days. As he approached, we all stood up. The butler introduced the general and the senator greeted him. They already had met him and known him. The butler introduced him to us. And he said to me, looking down the line at my children and my wife on the end, he said, thank you for coming. You're here by my request. Please be seated I have a message for you. At that, we were all seated except for the general and Charles. The butler stood out on the right end, kind of at attention. And Charles and the general went up on the small platform. They conferred with one another for a few minutes. The general nodded and took the single seat in the rear. Charles went up to the microphone and said these words. Thank you for coming today. You're here by my request. Please take heed. I have a message for you. And then he began. He said, I must inform you that your nation is at war and that you have a battle to fight. But the saddest thing is you must fight it without God. And with that, the general behind him jumped to his feet, stepped off the small platform, coming around on the, on the ground, came right in front of Charles, looking up with his hands on his hips, very sarcastic, looked right up into the face of Charles, and said, we know we're at war, and we know we have a battle to fight. But we didn't know God had anything to do with it. And with that, Charles came up with his hands that were down at his side, and in a sweeping motion like this, brought his fingers right down between the general's eyes and said, And sir, that is your mistake. And with that, Charles and the general began arguing whether God had anything to do with this war and this battle or not. As they were arguing, we were all paying attention and watching. 
when all of a sudden in my peripheral vision, off to my left, down off about 70 feet away, I saw a motion, and I turned and looked, and there was a frog that would have been about uh, 20 feet high, a massive frog. Now, I grew up in the desert, and in August of the year, when the monsoons hit, these frogs seem to come out of nowhere. And they're very plump frogs. It makes you wonder how they can be so fat. And they are dark, dark green. Dark, dark green. This frog, what had caught my attention was, he was sitting, when we gathered, we never saw him. But all of a sudden, he lifted his head to fill the air sac to make the croaking sound like they do. And that motion of lifting his head is what drew my attention and caused me to see him. When I saw that frog filling that air sac, terror swept over me. And I wanted to turn to the people and Charles and the general and say, let's get out of here. If that frog croaks, we're all dead. But I didn't do it. I stayed seated and kept silent. And all of a sudden, as I was watching that frog, it opened its mouth, and out of its mouth came a white vapor. And as that white vapor came out, terror filled me. The people with me didn't see it. My family didn't see it. My wife didn't see it. Charles and the general didn't even see it. The white vapor came and enveloped Charles and the general. I knew when that vapor hit, they were dead. And this is why some people ask me, do you believe that Charles is the Antichrist? Well, I did not see him die in the vision, but it was like I knew in the vision, that white vapor hits you, you're dead. Chemical warfare. At the instant it hit Charles and the general coming toward my wife on the other end of those chairs, I was caught up again like the Russian invasion vision, the, the, the submarine vision, caught up into the heavens, looking down on the earth like a globe. The kind of a picture that you would see a satellite picture when they do the weather picture. And as I was caught up in the heavens, I was looking down on the earth, but instead of seeing the whole earth, I looked in like I had eagle vision. I focused in on a square down on the earth and what I call Trafalgar Square. And I apologize for not having a picture of that. I didn't bring it with me. I've got plenty of them at home. Trafalgar Square is over in the heart of London. The main arteries of all the highways come together in London, and they come together at Trafalgar Square. You have, you have the political offices. You have industry. You have religious uh, churches. You have libraries, museums. It's a representation of the British Empire. You have four lions, massive bronze lions that are about 10 feet tall. Uh, that are on the four corners of the square, aiming the north, south, and east, and west. You have Nelson's column on the, on the square. Admiral Nelson is the one that they honor because of the, the Battle of Trafalgar that took place that determined the North American continent to be under the colonies, and which obviously became the United States of America. But without the winning of that battle of Trafalgar, Spain would have ruled the North American continent and the colonies would have all been under Spain. You see the turning point, the pivotal point of history here, very crucial. I believe much of this is the reason God showed me Trafalgar Square or put that in me. I've been to Trafalgar Square many times, had been before this. But God made it real to me as Trafalgar Square. I'm looking down into the square 
when all of a sudden the people come running out of all these businesses and these offices and industries and everything, and they're running into the square. And all of a sudden they start pointing up like where the frog was at my left hand in my vision. Now they're pointing up the same direction to my left hand. I'm looking to see what they're pointing at. And as I look, I see they're pointing at a massive military that comes clear up into the heavens where I'm standing. I look off and to the immediate left of me above this massive military that goes into the heavens is a gentleman that's standing up there and he is standing with his fist clenched. And this gentleman, I want to give you a picture of him. Get, get the picture. Forgive me here. We got it. Where did you go? The bed? Well, oh, it's right under my nose. Sorry. No, it isn't. Well, we've got it. This gentleman is standing. I'll find it in a second. This gentleman is standing... His fists are clenched down at his side like this. As his fists are clenched, he's full military uniform. As he's full military, he's looking down at his army. He's watching these people down in the square. And as he's watching them down in the square, they are pointing at his army and they are pointing at him and they are laughing and mocking. I can't believe that they are mocking an army that goes into the heavens. This just boggles my imagination. Why would they mock such a, a fearsome-looking army that have weapons out here? The military had, were holding guns out here because their chests came out like a, the ribbing of a locust. They had googie eyes and snooted noses. Mouths like, what was it? It was the chemical warfare material that the Russians wear. And as they were standing in the heavens, the fury, I begin to see the fury coming up in this man's face. In 1985, I saw a newspaper article. And in this article, I saw this man's face. The man's name was Lebed. And this man, the man you're looking at on the screen right now, is the man that in 1985 I saw on this newspaper article. And he was the general that was standing in the heavens with his fists clenched, looking down on the army, angry, looking at these people. I saw the fury begin to come up in his face. I saw his neck begin to swell. I saw the blood vessels begin to bulge. He was getting angrier by the minute by these people mocking and laughing and saying, We're not afraid of you. You don't have any power anymore. Your armies are falling apart. They can't do anything. And as they were mocking him, the fury was coming up in his face and all of a sudden his, uh, his clenched fist came up like this. And he uttered the words, Present arms, aim, fire. And as he said this, a rectangular weapon off to his right with many cylinders in it shot out what looked like lightning through the heavens, up in the heavens where we were, way above the earth. And they began to fire on the people down in that big square. It caught them by total surprise. Surprise. 
I could tell by the way it caught them, they sincerely believed what they were saying. They did not believe that that army had any strength anymore. They believed that it was just simply a rag doll army. But there was an army there that they weren't aware of. And they began to fire on the people in that square. And as they fired on them, I could hear the bullets hitting them. It was a sound like shooting into mattresses. I heard the people screaming, and they ran back and forth across that square. These people were wearing, the, 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 the welder had his helmet up, and he had his leather, leather uh, uh, apron on. The nurse had her hat on, and the doctor, his stethoscope. Everybody was in their occupational garb. They were totally all dressed in their everyday working apparel. There was no military in that square. They were all citizens, totally at rest, totally at ease, and did not believe there was any threat whatsoever on their society. The bullets were riddling them, but I didn't see the people falling, and this troubled me, so I kept watching the people as they ran back and forth as these bullets were like tormenting them. And all of a sudden, in the peripheral vision around them, I began to realize it wasn't the people the army was after. It was all of the material things around them. All things of wealth or of value around them began to disappear. And that was the end of the vision. Now, I want to begin to give you a little bit of Understanding concerning this gentleman by the name of Labed. I want to show you a little bit about him because I believe that he is the one that will speak the words that will begin the attack on America. And as you have seen on the television, you saw his picture inset in the United States of America. And you saw the black dots along the perimeter on the east coast, up by New York, down by Miami and in that area, the blackened areas of the country, and up by Seattle, Bellevue. And you saw it down San Francisco, Los Angeles, and San Diego. The reason I put that man's picture in the middle of it is because in the vision, he's the man that gave the orders to begin the attack. Now, you need to know a little bit about this gentleman because it will help you to understand why he would be a chosen man for this particular order to be given. Reserve General Alexander Lebed, pictured in the center there, a contender for the Russian presidency, has said Russian soldiers going unpaid in the current economic crisis were in a revolutionary mood. He said, the army is in a revolutionary mood. Lebed urged support for acting Prime Minister Viktor Chernodin, saying he was the only heavyweight politician who could slow down Russia's downfall. Now, we are hearing this more and more. Russia is heading for a downfall. Russia is in trouble. All right? Now, here are some quotes from this gentleman. I want you to begin to think about this and ponder this man's thinking. He says, quote, Labed here, September the 3rd, 1996, he said this, I'm the kind of cat who likes to prowl on my own. An interview in Russia. 
Then another interview. First we act, and then we explain. Sound familiar? Another quote. Most Russians don't care whether they are ruled by fascists or communists, or even Martians, as long as they can buy six kinds of sausage in the store and lots of cheap vodka. Financial Times, September the 6th, 1994. Interfacts, December 28th, 1994. He says, Clever people learn from others' mistakes. Fools learn from their own. And this one comes from Holland, March the 10th and 11th, 1995, Amsterdam. He says, Lions led by donkeys can't win against donkeys led by lions. Now, you keep these thoughts in mind. I want to tell you some more about this man before we leave. Here's some more thoughts, quotes from him. I spit on popularity ratings. I live and serve as I see fit. That's a Russian paper, April 19, 1995. Another quote, April 95, from the same, the same uh, Russian paper. It's the argument in, I can't pronounce the word, e facti. He says, people aren't given teeth just to chew with. They need to be shown from time to time Strength makes the world go round. Now, when he said this, he was running for governor of Siberia. And guess what was on his posters? I, I've asked them to send me one, some people that were going over to Siberia, because I, I met a person that said he had one. And I said, can you at least just take a picture of it or something and send it to me? But I haven't got it yet. I'd hope to have it before this tour. But do you know how he was poised in his political Poster all over Siberia running for governor. Fists clenched, looking up, showing his teeth with a face like a bulldog. What was it I saw in the Prince Charles vision when the general became angry? His fists came up. He said, present arms, aim, fire. And that's what he's saying. I want to read that one. Again, to help you to understand. People aren't given just teeth to chew with. They need to be shown from time to time. Strength makes the world go round. I've just picked out a few of his quotes here. Here's another one. Given in April 95 from another paper called Salzbenenek. A cat driven into a corner becomes a tiger. What are they doing to the Russian economy now? They're driving them into a corner so they'll become a tiger. You get hungry enough, you'll be ready to fight. Another one from Salzbenek, April 1995. Think before you speak and don't, th don't say everything you think. Another from the Trude paper in Russia, July 26, 1995. Russia is like a dinosaur. A lot of time is needed for change to reach the tail from the head. Now, what does that tell you? America has the microwave push-button mentality. Everything instant. 
But Russia has a totally different mentality. They have a mentality of champion chess players. They are expert strategists. They were champions for many decades in playing chess. Chess is a strategy game. Chess is a game that takes great patience and consideration of every move because you must look at the overall plan. America, we do things a little differently. I'll read the last quote here. Oh, I've got a couple more. Let's read a couple more. Every country's population is divided as follows. 5% are the smartest and best. And 5% are the most unrepentant scoundrels. Between them is a swamp of 90%, 90% who go where they're told. Forty books, $800 value for $100. Secret Door to Understand Bible Prophecy is a deep dive into Bible prophecy. Miss the Mark is the book you give to people that you never want to take the mark of the beast. God's Warnings to America is 101 modern prophecies, everything from Dimitri Dudeman to rest of the most popular, the most credible prophets out there. Tribulation Secrets in Daniel is the book that you read to understand as a tribulation saint, what you need to know. And then how pre-trib one, you'll settle your question about the rapture. Now, you can get all five of these in a giant package. We offer them in shrink wrap sets, shrink wrap sets of 10 for the Understand Bible Prophecy. Miss the Mark is in shrink wrap sets of 10. God's Warning is shrink wrap sets of 10. Daniel is five. How pre-trib one is five. So it's a total of 40 books. Valued at $800, all for a gift of just $100 at prophecyclub.com. The good news is EMP Shield has devices the military testing facility says protect 100% against EMP, solar flares, lightning, power surges, backed by a 10-year warranty and a $25,000 insurance policy. View simple video installation instructions for home, vehicles, RV. You can have electricity in a blackout. Use the promo code PROPHECY for a $50 gift card, and it helps your Prophecy Club. These days, emergency food is mostly sold out, but HeavensHarvest.com has all sorts of emergency supplies and food in stock. Their food comes in square stackable buckets, breakfast, entree, protein, fruits and vegetables, I recommend you have at least 12 months of food for each person in your family. Receive a free box of heirloom seeds when you enter the promo code STAN at HeavensHarvest.com. Promo code STAN. Terry Sokka is a prophecy student, and he reads his King James Bible, and he believes in winning souls so much he is supporting the Prophecy Club so that we can win more souls. So if you want to support someone that loves prophecy and wants to win souls, I'm going to send you to cornerstoneassetmetals.com where you can get all sorts of precious metals, gold, silver, rhodium, palladium, and things like that. Cornerstoneassetmetals.com. Click like, share, subscribe, and send to a friend.